We are discussing today Joseph. Joseph, who was, I guess, the adopted dad in some ways of Jesus. Joseph, who is the James Polk of the Bible. Do all of you know who James Polk is? Anyone know who James Polk is? You might say, what is that? This past summer, I was looking at a list of, I was looking through a list of the greatest presidents or the most influential presidents ever uh, in the history of America, and there's different lists, and I saw consistently ranked within the top 10, uh, never uh, less than 12, probably never greater than eight, but I saw this name, James K. Polk. In fact, he is often the highest ranked one-term president in the history of the United States. Sometimes John F. Kennedy is ranked higher than him, although in simultaneous polls, the same scholars rank John F. Kennedy as the most overrated president in history. So they all say he's the greatest, and we also know that we're overrating him at the same time. It's kind of, kind of uh, some, some funniness there. But James Polk, I saw his name there over and over again. I was kind of surprised uh, to see it. Uh, so I decided to go and, and buy a biography, and I bought a biography of Polk and, and about, about President Polk and began to read about our 11th president, the one-termer, James Polk. Just a blip on the presidential picture, but listen to some of the things that this man accomplished during his one term. At the time that he became president, he was in fact the youngest president up to that point to ever have served. He was 49 years old, our first president that ever served in his, in, uh, that started serving when he was in his 40s. But Polk cut tariffs, a promise he had made during his campaigning and achieved, which opened up the door for better trading. He reestablished an independent treasury, so we were uh, uh, more financially stable. Under his presidency, the nation, for the first time, extended from the Atlantic coast to the Pacific coast. It was under him, his, his leadership and his direction. The annexation of Texas, which was in doubt prior to him entering office, in fact, it had been voted down prior to him entering office, became a reality, and Texas became the 28th state of the union. Any Texans in here? Do we have any Texans at all? I see a couple hands. Texans, aren't you glad for James Polk? made you a part of the United States. I know you're a republic and you're equal with the U.S. I understand all that. But uh, through war with Mexico, the land that makes up all the parts of present-day California. Any Californians in here want to raise your hands high and get a little Pentecostal with me? Okay. A few Californians in here. Much of what is California today. Arizona. Any Arizona people? Arizona. No one from Arizona. Maybe it's just too nice and warm there. No one wants to leave. Colorado, any Coloradans? I was actually born in Colorado, in the wonderful city of Loveland, Colorado. It is why I am so loving. Uh, Nevada, anyone from Nevada? Nope, they're all gambling now. Uh, New Mexico, any New, Mex- New Mexicans? No New Mexicans in here. Utah, anyone from, oh, do we have New Mexican? Do, oh, behind me. Oh, oh, Robert, how could I forget you? We won't blame New Mexico for that going along. <laughs> Colorado, I mean, not Colorado, uh, uh, Utah. I lived in Utah at one point in my life. Wyoming, Anyone? 
Come on, people want to leave Wyoming, please, really. Wyoming. All of those were part of, brought under by James Polk. I mean, think of all that, all those places that are part of the United States of America. Through peaceful negotiations, not war, without going to war, he diplomatically settled a dispute with the British, and he gained full control of the present-day states of Washington. Any Washingtonians from the state of Washington? There's one. Uh, Oregon. Idaho, Idaho, as well as parts, as parts of Montana and the other parts of Wyoming. So we got part of Wyoming through the war and part of Wyoming through peaceful negotiations. I mean, all of this under this one man in four years, in four quick years. Maybe the most amazing thing of all is that he kept his word. This might be the greatest achievement of all this man. He kept his word. He promised to serve one term. He promised to serve one term. He set up four goals, all four goals he accomplished. He promised to serve one term, achieve those goals, and then move on. And even though people appealed to him to run a second term, he refused. He kept to his promise. He stuck to that promise. There is your U.S. history lesson for the week. James Polk, the 11th president. Why then is Joseph like James Polk? Why do I see Joseph as the James Polk of the Bible? Well, Polk is probably often overlooked with all the other hustle and bustle of the 19th century. Probably these names and their accomplishments are more familiar to you. Thomas Jefferson, do you know more about him than James Polk? Probably so. James Madison, Andrew Jackson, Abraham Lincoln, even Grover Cleveland, who served a term, took a term off, or... The people chose to give him a term off, and then he served another term again. But Polk, who is that? Who's this 11th president? Just a a place card holder in the annals of history. With all the hustle and bustle of Christmas, could it be that Joseph is sometimes seen as just a blip on the screen of this story? A placeholder in the story, the Christmas story. In fact, never Uh, Joseph never even speaks. He never even speaks in the biblical narrative that we remember at this time of year. In fact, he's the easiest part to play in the play every year, in the little nativity scene drama. He's the easiest part to play. All you gotta do is stand there with your shepherd's rod, walk in front of Mary for a little while, and then stand next to the manger and smile and nod. That's your role when you play Joseph in the nativity scene. I know, I've seen it. My son played Joseph one time. He was, he was an amazing Joseph. All that dialogue. Could it be, though, that he also has a powerful example for us in history? Could it be that we lose sight of the example that he could be for us in history? What do we know about Joseph, or what do we presume to know about Joseph? We know that he was a carpenter. The Bible indicates that. He was a carpenter. We know that he was from Judea, the city of of Bethlehem. Most likely, Joseph, most likely, Joseph was much older than Mary, as was the custom. This wasn't scandalous in that day, but Mary was probably a teenager, and Joseph was probably in his late 20s, maybe even up to his 30s at the time in which he became connected with her. With life expectancy being much shorter than it is, this would be one of the reasons why he does not show up on the scene later in Jesus' life. It's not that he was home 
tending to things or that he was, uh, uh, you know, not interested in the things of Jesus, but he was most likely had passed away and Mary was most likely a widow at that point in her life. What do we not know or maybe have missed about Joseph? What are some things we maybe do not know or missed about Joseph? He was potentially, I like this, he was potentially a great evangelist. Maybe didn't know that. I say potentially because we don't know for sure, but I like that because Joseph, along with Mary, uh, or at least her family, were probably part of a Jewish migration from Judea to Galilee, which began during the time of the Maccabean ruler Aristobulus. Those who migrated, these people who migrated, these Jews who migrated to this Galilean region, were zealous Jews who desired to bring their religion to the pagan Galileans. They moved there because they were evangelists. They said, we need to go there. They're missionaries. We need to go there and evangelize these pagan people. They were so successful in their evangelism of the Galileans that there was no question of the Jewish character of the region after that time. Evangelism isn't a new phenomenon, folks. Even some of the Jews were doing it at that time, and they were probably some of those. So potentially, Joseph, through his witness, was a great evangelist. Joseph also was extremely caring. He was an extremely caring individual. Yes, we see this in that he was going to divorce Mary quietly, not desiring to bring her or her family to public shame before he knew the conception of Jesus was miraculous, which would have been his right by law. It would have been his right by law to not only divorce her, but to publicly humiliate her and her family. That would have been his right by law. Matthew chapter 19, if you want to open your Bibles there, or Matthew chapter 1 and verse 19, if you want to open your Bibles there. Matthew 1 and verse 19, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, this isn't saying he was just because he wanted to divorce her quietly. This is saying him being a law-abiding man felt the need to divorce her, but not wanting to make her a public example was minded to put her away or to, to divorce her secretly, divorce her secretly. You may say, well, how could he have divorced her? They were only betrothed. They were only engaged. Divorce isn't something that happens when you're engaged. In that time period, it did. In fact, engagements usually lasted about a year. The length of an engagement was about a year long, in which during that time, the wife enjoyed all the full benefits of being a wife, but was not to be intimate with her husband. So ladies, it was like you got all... The husband had to be super nice to you for a whole year, no matter what, no matter what. And to break an engagement was equal to what we would now say is breaking a marriage, a divorce situation taking place. And so this was, so we see that he was, that he was, he was nice. He did not want to embarrass Mary, yet he did not want to embarrass Mary. The text uh, is saying in verse 19, even though Joseph was law-abiding, he does not wish to use the law and all its rigor against Mary. Joseph models here, Joseph models here for us one whose highest standards are balanced with compassion. That's a good lesson for all of us anyways. You can be the most law-abiding person in the world and you can be a real jerk. You know that? I mean, that's the truth, right? Sorry if jerk is not a word we normally say in church, but it's true. We can be that way. We can be to the book, to the rules, with our kids, with our spouses, with our colleagues, and we can be just downright mean about it. 
Well, Joseph shows us a nice balance, that he was, he was a fully law-abiding citizen and, and followed the law of God strictly, and yet he balanced it with compassion. It's a good thing. But what we may not know is that Joseph also models this compassion. He also shows us this compassion by taking Mary with him to Bethlehem. Maybe this is something you never thought about before. But, but when, when the call goes out for the census, when, when Caesar issues the call that all should go to their, to their homelands, to their, to their original towns to, 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 um, to register for the census, this call, sorry ladies, this call was gender biased. They didn't really care about registering the women. It was a registration of the men. It was a registration of the men. And then they would just tack on or estimate the, the, the ladies. If you read in the Bible, you'll see that when, when David took a census, what did David take a census of? The men and the army. He doesn't mention the women. These are, this is the way the censuses were. So, so Joseph is actually showing compassion by taking Mary to Bethlehem with him. Joseph's actions show this as a birth in his absence, a birth in his absence, since there were already rumors and there was already whispering, would have left her open to even further ridicule. And so he says, you come with me. I'm going to take care of you. I don't want this baby to be born without me there. I want to take care of you. Today I want us to take just a couple minutes, though, a couple more minutes, and acknowledge one of the, the things about Joseph that is, that is absolutely uh, beautiful and, and should be essential for our lives as well. If you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter one. And we're beginning in verse 18, as Tanya just read a few minutes ago. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being, made, being a just man, not, and yet, yet not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you your wife, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Call his name Jesus. Joseph, the law says that I'm to divorce her because she's pregnant, and I know it's not my child. I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to shame her in doing this. Joseph goes, lays down, goes to sleep. An angel comes to him, tells him, don't divorce her. I know this is what the law says. I know this is what, what people will expect you to do, but don't divorce her. Stay with her, and I want you to give him a name. You should call his name Jesus. You're not going to give him your name so that people associate him with you. You're going to call his name Jesus because he will save their people from their sins. And then verse 24, look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Took to him to his wife. Then Joseph, uh, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. The Bible tells us Joseph had made a decision in his mind. 
or was, was pondering this decision in his mind. He was trying to figure out how he was going to go about it. He goes to sleep. An angel appears from, to him, tells him, your decision is wrong. Joseph gets up and obeys. Gets up and obeys. Jumping ahead. Jesus is born. He's probably two years old by this point in time. Sorry to disappoint you folk who think the wise men come and gather around the little baby. But Jesus is born. Jesus is born. He's probably two years old. Wise men visit Jesus. They give him gifts and they worship him. But they have also alerted King Herod to the threat of Jesus or perceived threat. Chapter 2 and verse 13 of Matthew. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother. Again, an angel coming to Joseph in a dream. Arise, take the young child and his mother. Flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. And then notice verse 14. Notice Joseph's response. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt. And was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Notice what Joseph did. He's there, he's living in Bethlehem. The angel comes to him and says, You must get up and you must go. And the Bible tells us that he arose, he took the child, he took the mother, and they went to Egypt. Now listen a third time. After some time and years in Egypt, we find Joseph once again asleep and once again visited by an angel. Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. And came into the land of Israel. Joseph, a man who spoke not a word in all of Scripture, speaks volumes, speaks volumes as he models for us quiet and simple obedience. Quiet and simple obedience. Three times an angel comes to Joseph. Three times Joseph gets up and does what he is told without hesitation without objection, without pushback, without concern, without inquiry. God says it, Joseph stands and does it. Let's not think now, let's not think that, that, that no one can be that obedient. The authors were simply glossing over the objections maybe that Joseph had. Remember, there's, there's two other dreams, right? There's two, other, there's two other visions by angels that are associated with this story. Do you remember those two others? One is uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. Do you remember this? Zacharias is, is, is in the temple. He's a priest of God, and he's in the temple ministering to God. It's his time of year, and an angel comes to, to Zacharias and says, your wife will become pregnant through you, Zacharias. And he says, yeah, this... He balks. He says, I don't, I don't believe it. He questions the angel who introduces himself as Gabriel. He questions the angel's vera- the veracity of what the angel is telling him. He says, this can't be true. So what does the angel do? The angel says, because you did not believe, you will not talk until your child is born. Nine months, you will not talk until your child is born. 
Now, ladies, maybe some of you pray that God will do this to your husbands at some point. You may not want to go through the pregnancy in order to have it happen. But boom, don't talk for nine months. You be quiet. And Zacharias, the Bible doesn't gloss over and say, okay, Zacharias did what he's told. No, the Bible tells us his objections. The Bible tells us that he questioned the veracity. The Bible gives us the full picture. Even, let's even remember the other, the other story about the angel coming to visit Mary. The angel came to visit Mary and, 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 and said to her, you shall be with child. And even Mary, though she wasn't doubting, she was wondering, how are you going to do this? And she said, excuse me, Mr. Angel, I've never been with a man, so I'm not sure, and I don't plan to be outside of God's law, so, so how is this going to happen? And the angel tells her how it's going to happen. But even she wants to know details. Okay, give me, give me the lowdown on this. Give me the lowdown on this. I know this is the way that women work when, when pregnancy comes about. Uh, because I know, because we bought a whole lot of books, and if anyone wants pregnancy books, we still have these books. And I promise you, unless an angel visits me, we're not having any more babies. <laughs> so you, you're welcome to these books on, on, on childbirthing. But they want to know. They get those, those things down. But here we have two other stories related to the Christmas story, related to the birth narrative in which angels visited people and they, they wanted to get a better understanding. Maybe they outright questioned or they at least wanted to, to say, hey, I want this explained to me a little better. But with Joseph, we see none of that. Joseph has the dream. The Bible tells us three different times. He arose, he got up, and he obeyed. What a simple and loving and obedient faith. A simple and a loving and obedient faith. There's not much about Joseph in the scriptures, but everything that actually is there demonstrates, demonstrates that Joseph chose obedience to God as a priority of his life. As a priority of his life. I believe this would be a good model for us to follow as Christians, a good resolution for us to make in 2016, to make obedience to God a priority of our lives. You may say, well, I, I try to be obedient, but, but do we really focus? Do we make a determination in our heart that we are going to be obedient to God? Last week, we talked about resolving to be like Mary, to truly ponder the things of Jesus, to take them into our heart, and to allow the things of Jesus to change us, to, 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 to mold us, to shape us, to examine the truths of Jesus, not just on an occasion, but, but daily on a consistent basis. Today, why don't we resolve to be like Joseph as well? Why don't we resolve to be like Joseph as well? To make obedience to God a priority in our lives, no matter what and folk it really is no matter what what joseph chose to be obedient to was not comfortable it was not easy to 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 do easy to 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 handle it was not convenient for his life but he was obedient no matter what can we resolve to be that obedient you know there's times we open the word of god and we read something and immediately God tells us, you should be doing this. 
And many of us pause and ponder, do I really need to be obedient to this? Can we resolve to be like Joseph, that when we have those moments, we say, God, I'm going to be obedient no matter what. Many of us have moments where we are in the midst of something and, and we're convicted. This is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. And we decide to linger there for a little bit longer. Can we resolve to be like Joseph in 2016 and say, you know what, I want to be obedient no matter what. Even when it's not comfortable. Even when it's not easy. Even when it's not convenient for my life. I want you to pull out your connection cards if you would at this time. Hopefully you filled out the front there. Give us as much information as you're comfortable with. But let's make this a resolution for 2016 as well. We made a resolution about Mary to ponder the things of Jesus, to store them in our heart, to allow them to change us on a daily basis. But let's turn that over, the card over, and let's respond to today's sermon as well. And, and let's just start here. I struggle with obedience to God in certain areas. You don't raise your hand, but if that applies to you, go ahead and check that box. If you struggle with obedience to God in certain areas, I'm just going to... I want you all to know right now, I do also. We all do, probably every single one of us. I struggle with God. That applies to you. Go ahead and check that box. The first step to recovery is a mission, right? That's what they tell you in 12-step programs. But maybe you're also like me, and you'd like to have the humble obedience of Joseph. And so if that applies to you, you know what? I struggle with obedience, but man, I'd like to have that humble obedience of Joseph. That when God speaks, I rise up and I do. No questions, no matter what, I move forward. If that's you, check that box. If that fits, that's the box. Third, I know I cannot be fully obedient to God on my own strength. Maybe you've discovered as I have in your life uh, and as I've had in my life, that no matter how hard I try, no matter how hard I grit and bear and determine to do good, I can never be fully obedient to God. I mean, even our good works, the Bible tells us, are like filthy rags, right? Isaiah 64 tells us this, that, that even our, our righteous deeds, our good works, are as filthy rags. If you recognize that, that you don't have the power to obey fully on your own, you recognize that you cannot do it, then check that box. And if all the above are true, then maybe we could check the box as well. Jesus, please come into my heart and give me the will and the power to obey. Not by my strength, not by my might, but by the Spirit of God. Jesus, come into my heart and give me the will and the power to obey. What if we were a people like Mary in 2016? What if we were a people like Mary in 2016 who decided to daily ponder the things of Jesus and internalize those things in our lives? If we did that on a daily basis, I bet you that Jesus would begin to show us and reveal to us some of the things that we need to be doing in our life. And so if we're gonna be like Mary and have God revealing those things to us, then we also need to be like Joseph and be willing to obey those things that God reveals to us while we're pondering the things of Jesus. Amen? You can't do one without the other. I can ponder, I can know all the things that Jesus wants me to do, but if I'm not willing to step out and be like Joseph and be willing to rise up and obey, then it has no value for my life. So let's resolve to be like Mary, pondering the things of Jesus, learning daily what he would have us to learn. And as we learn and as we grow and as he reveals to us, let us resolve to be like Joseph, to rise up 
and to obey in simple and humble faith. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy towards us. We thank you that though it is not possible for us to be obedient on our own, that through your power, through your strength, we can be obedient. We can be changed. We can be made new. We can do right. Not because our works are good, but because you working in us is very, very good. And we thank you for that, Jesus. I pray that in 2016, Lord, we will be more like Mary and we will be more like Joseph. We will follow their example more closely. These people that, that, that heaven chose to be the guardians of Jesus on this earth, Lord, we can learn from them. We can learn from them. And so may we do so. And as we resolve to be more like them through your grace, through your power, through your strength, most of all, Lord, may we look more and more like you, Jesus, every single day and represent you better. In your name we pray, amen.